1: welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you?
0: Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself?
1: Doing great, Father.
0: Good. Good
1: Great to to be here. Yeah, great to be here with you. Uh, Father, we have a few items on the agenda for tonight, uh, but uh, first I <clears throat> wanted to continue the theme that we had in our last program concerning uh, Francis's recent motu proprio. Um, and tonight, Father, I wanted to cover uh, just a bit the Society of St. Pius X's response uh, to this motu proprio, and uh, in particular the uh, Superior General, the Father Pagliarani, wrote, uh, wrote a letter. Uh, concerning this um, document from Francis. So, Father, I know you've had the time to read through the letter, so our, our viewers will be very interested to uh, to get your response to that letter by Father Pirani And um, in, in particular, do you think that this represents any kind of shift in the thinking of the Society St. Pius X, or uh, do you find the contents of this letter significant
0: for any reason? Well, I do find it significant. Um, and... Um the reason I find it significant is because it, 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 I think it's a more straightforward, uh, open way of uh, speaking than the society has been known for. Um, you know, the Society of St. Pius X has, I think, been soft-peddling um, the evils of modernism and what's been going out of Rome. I mean, I think back to the time of uh, Francis bringing the pagan idols, uh, Pachamama, in, into the Vatican and into St. Peter's Basilica itself. and uh, I would say the Society St. Pius X's response at that time was not really, uh, I think it wasn't even measured. I think it was extremely weak. And um, I think it was weak be- because, as Archbishop himself said, when you try to accommodate the modernists in Rome, um, you have to... Uh, uh, mind your P's and Q's is what you say. You, you you know, you don't want to offend them. He said you actually lose your right of free speech, as it were, to to criticize the actions of the modernists if you're trying to appease them. And I think that's exactly what the Society of St. Pius X has been doing for so many years now. But this letter from Father Paligirandi is uh, uh, more straightforward and... Uh, why, I don't know. Uh, you know, it took the Society of St. Pius X a few weeks, it seemed, to respond to the Pachamama question. As so many other voices were weighing in, it, It's you get the impression that the, the SSPX was waiting, just kind of waiting to see what, what others had to say before speaking out on it. But uh, this uh, statement by Father Pagliarani uh, came more quickly. Uh, but Still, uh, after, you know, there was a, a flurry of responses, <clears throat> when Francis uh, issued his motu Proprio tradizioni Custodes, there was an immediate reaction, almost kind of an explosive reaction, you know, around the globe. <clears throat> so the SSPX didn't have to wait to see how people were going to react to it in order to respond. But uh, rather than interpret what Father Pagliarani is saying, I think it's important that we actually quote what he says uh, before commenting on it because I think he has a right to uh, be heard in his his own right. Now, what I have here is an English translation, but it it comes to us, uh, you know, from the SSPX channels, so it would seem to be accurate. It's dated July 23rd, 2021, and the source given is FSSPX Spirituality. Uh, it says it's a letter from the Superior General of the Priestly Society of St. Pius X in light of the publication of the Motu Proprio Traditionis Custodias. And here's what he says. Dear members and friends of the Priestly Society of St. Pius X, the Motu Proprio Traditionis Custodes, and the letter that accompanied it have caused a profound upheaval in the so-called traditionalist movement. We can point out, quite logically, that the era of the hermeneutics of continuity with its equivocations, illusions, and impossible efforts is radically over, swept aside with a wave of a sleeve. These clear-cut measures do not directly affect the society of St. Pius X. However, they must be an occasion for us to reflect deeply on the situation. To do so, it is necessary to step back and ask ourselves a question that is both old and new, why is the Tridentine Mass still the apple of discord after fifty years? <clears throat> and uh, this first paragraph of Father Pagliarani's letter, uh, directed to members and friends, he says, of the Priestly Society of St. Pius X, <clears throat> says a lot, okay? Um, he, he says, first of all, it's caused a profound upheaval, and it, it actually... Um, logically brings to an end uh, the so-called era of the hermeneutics of continuity. Now, what is that, the hermeneutics of continuity? Well, the idea of the hermeneutic of continuity was introduced by none other than uh, Ratzinger Benedict XVI, who said he was kind of following a program of uh, trying to make the Novus Ordo somehow uh, follow from Catholic tradition, as though it's somehow compatible with with Catholic tradition, as though there wasn't a uh, a, a hermeneutic of, uh, of of rupture. You know, there's there's a so-called the hermeneutic basically is like an understanding how it's to be understood. Okay, how it's to be interpreted, and the idea is well, we can we can interpret the Novus Ordo as a rupture with tradition. Or we can interpret it in a way that it's in a continuum uh, with with tradition and compatible with tradition. And um, uh, Benedict XVI wanted to adopt an approach that we're going to try to understand the new order and what came out of Vatican II as somehow continuous with Catholic tradition. And uh, Brother Pallieri even calls it the era, the era of the. Not error, era, E-R-A, as though it were an entire era that he's delineating of the hermeneutics of continuity. But, uh, you know, the Society of St. Pius X seemed to fall right into that idea, the hermeneutics of continuity, as though, well, we can work with Benedict and we can go to him and we can talk to him and we can try to work some out, some, some kind of a, an arrangement with him you know, <laughs> some kind of understanding, uh, perhaps even, you know, working toward an approval. But here, uh, Father Pauliurati, uh says, now all of that is radically over, he says. He calls. He says this hermeneutics of continuity, which it seemed the Society of St. Pius X was willing to play along with for the whole era, of what's what he calls it. He says, now it's swept aside with a wave of the sleeve, and he says it was full of equivocations, illusions, and impossible efforts. So maybe he's referring to the equivocations, illusions, and impossible efforts not just coming from the Vatican, but actually being adopted by the Society of St. Pius X, too. Maybe he says these were impossible efforts to try to make some kind of an agreement with this, you know. Uh, it certainly seems to imply that here. He says, but now it's radically over, it's swept aside, uh, finished, uh, done for, oh, and uh, now we're moving on to another era, I guess. <laughs> now he says these clear-cut measures, the measures that Francis adopts in his modu proprio here against the 1962 John twenty third Latin Mass, he says the measures taken by Francis do not directly affect the Society of St. Pius X which is very interesting that he would say it. He just says it point-blank. These clear-cut measures do not directly affect the Society of St. Pius X. Well, the only way they could not directly affect the Society of St. Pius X if the Society of St. Pius X is paying no attention to them or does not feel itself bound to them in any way. And I think that, again, is very revealing because, you know, the Society of St. Pius X, in fact, <clears throat> has adopted this this uh, uh, number one idea that that the post-conciliar popes are without doubt Roman pontiffs and vicars of Christ on earth. And they say that you can't even question it. Um, almost like the thought police, you know, you can't question it. You must not doubt this. Even if you doubt it, you're a scientific contest. Um So the Society of St. Pius X has been very draconian about telling people what they may and may not think, even though, you know, Catholic tradition does say that there are Um, conditions under which um, a man, uh, which which a man would have to meet even to be the Pope and to remain the Pope. The Catholic tradition does, you know, raise that question and raises the question as a very Catholic question. The Society of St. Pius X absolutely will not hear of it, will not allow you to ask that question, but they have adopted the position that yes, he's the Pope, but no, we don't have to do anything he says. They don't, They say explicitly, yes, he's the Pope. They don't say explicitly, we don't have to do anything it says, but in practice, that's how it is. I even asked one of the leaders of one of their seminaries uh, seminaries, um, uh, that very question. uh, What have you done that you've done actually out of obedience to Francis just because he's commanded it? Um, And he couldn't think of a single thing. Um, And with good reason, because... They really do have the position uh, explicitly, yes, he is the Pope, and implicitly, no, we don't really have to obey him in anything he says that we don't want to want to do. And that is not, in my mind a really really a Catholic position. You know It wouldn't be my position if I were convinced that somebody was truly totally the Pope, I would not ever dare say, but we know we don't have to do anything he says. <laughs> so when he says these clear-cut measures do not directly affect the society of St. Pius the It's clear why, because they do not feel in any way uh, beholden to observe any authority of those that they regard or claim to regard as popes uh, in matters that they don't want to accept. But so he goes out again in the same paragraph, however, they must be an occasion for us to reflect deeply on the situation. And so he says we have to ask the question, why is the Tridentine Mass, as he calls it, the traditional Mass, this um, apple of discord, as there's an Italian expression to that effect. Um, And uh, he goes on to actually say it it is a sign of contradiction. Um, And he explains why. Now, let me point out that, you know, in what he says here in this letter, uh, there's, there's much that is said that is Catholic and true and I agree with and I think it's well said and... I applaud uh, much of what he says here. But I think, unfortunately, it it, it all uh, gets down to an anomaly in the position of the Society of St. Pius X, which I would like to see resolved because I don't wish the Society of St. Pius X that he ill. There are so many wonderful Catholic people involved. Uh, I want them to succeed, but I want them to succeed in being integrally Catholic <clears throat> and not to in any way, waver or prevaricate with regard to their relationship with the modernists. Um, and I'd like them to speak, come out and speak very, very plainly and, um, and, and not, as it were, uh, um, well, I think in some cases, even deceitfully, you know, um, to lead people to not really understand their position fully and even to have false expectations. But he goes on, and he, he talks about the question of the the traditional mass becoming a sign of contradiction. He says, "Why has the mass become a sign of contradiction within the church itself?" And the answer is simple and increasingly clear after fifty years, the various elements that confirm the answer have become obvious to all well informed Catholics. The Tridentine mass expresses and conveys a conception of Christian life, and consequently a conception of the Catholic Church that is absolutely incompatible with the ecclesiology that means the very concept of the Church, what the Church is, that emerged from the Second Vatican Council. The problem is not simply liturgical, aesthetic, or purely technical. The problem is simultaneously doctrinal, moral, spiritual, ecclesiological, and liturgical. In a nutshell, it is a problem that affects all aspects of the Church's life without exception. It is a question of faith. And you see, this paragraph may... It really bears some reflection here. Um, I mean, I agree with him in saying that the differences between the traditional Latin Mass, the traditional Roman Rite of the Catholic Mass, and what came out of Vatican II really is a different of ecclesiology. The very concept of the church is at stake here. And uh, this was already pointed out by, uh, by Cardinal Benelli. Cardinal Benelli was, I think, the uh, cardinal secretary of state of the church, of the modern church under Paul VI, as I recall, was it? Anyway, Cardinal Benelli is fairly well known. Eric de Savitim, who is the head of the International Univoce, recorded a conversation he had with Cardinal Benelli in the Vatican. And uh, Cardinal Benelli said, came out and said point blank to him, Well, the difference between the traditional Mass and the new liturgy is a difference of ecclesiology. They represent two different ecclesiologies. Again, two different concepts of the Church itself. And uh, Eric de de Saventham, who was a very worthy scholarly Individual <clears throat> interrupted Cardinal Benelli and said uh, to him, You know, Your Excellency, uh, or Your Eminence, what, you, what you've just said is an enormity, he said. You're saying that essentially these uh, two different rites, the traditional rite of Mass and the new rite of, of liturgy, according to Paul VI, represent two different concepts of the church, he says? Uh, this is what Car- Eric VII said. It was an enormity meaning uh, like a travesty against the faith. But, you know, you, you know, you, you hear these things, you hear the words of Eric de Savantham and, and his shock at hearing a cardinal say this and admit this. But it's exactly what Cardinal Ottaviani said in 1969. He said that the new mass represents a different religion. It represents a different faith. It does, is not... Uh, it is not designed to represent the traditional Catholic faith. It is represented, it is designed to represent liberal Protestantism. I mean, Cardinal Ottaviani already said that in 69, even before the new mass became the, well, the new mass, right, uh, so to speak. And so, um, so I agree with what Father pa- Pagliarani pa- says here, but I don't understand how we can say these, the, the first words of this paragraph, Why has the Mass become a sign of contradiction within the Church itself? Well, how can the true Mass become a sign of contradiction within the Catholic Church? That's the point. You see, this all gets down to what I I believe is a fundamental and uh, dangerous, even tragic error among those who think that the Novus Ordo is actually somehow compatible with the traditional Catholic faith and the traditional Catholic religion. I mean, how many different religions can you have in the same church? How many different faiths can you have in the same church? Can you have in one and the same church, established by our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the Roman Catholic Church, can you have legitimately the traditional Roman Catholic faith, existing side by side, and equally legitimately with with modernism? Are they both the Catholic faith? or are they not? And if they are not, and even if they are mutually opposed to each other, thus one must necessarily destroy the other. As St. Pius X said, modernism is the synthesis of all heresies. Well, how can you have the traditional Catholic faith and the anti-traditional Catholic faith, the synthesis of all heresies, modernism, existing, coexisting side by side in the same church? Two different faiths, mutually opposed, and yet they both are held by the same church. Is it possible? How is it possible? Only with the ecumenist, only in the mind of an ecumenist, can you have multiple different faiths that contradict each other in the same church? And can you have the traditional Catholic religion with its traditional mass and sacraments and all the rest, existing uh, side by side, coexisting side by side with the novus ordo which was actually the religion crafted for the practice of modernism can that be in the same church two different religions again mutually opposed to each other and the answer is well for a catholic no for a modernist yes for an ecumenist yes that's the whole idea of ecumenism isn't it That you can have multiple different faiths in the same church you can have multiple different religions in the same church why not that's ecumenism <clears throat> but father paulirani here talks about how the the traditional mass is a sign of contradiction within the church with a capital c within the catholic church but that's not that's not possible it's impossible that it could that could be so the traditional catholic mass could never become a sign of contradiction within the Catholic Church itself. you understand what I mean? This is a very dangerous error. It's what leads people to think that they can practice the traditional Catholic faith within the Novus Ordo. And you ask them, okay, well, do you believe the Numus Novus Ordo is the Catholic practice of the Catholic faith? They say no. You might even ask them, well, would you go to the new mass? No, it doesn't represent the Catholic faith. But you believe you can practice the traditional Catholic faith with the traditional Mass within the Novus Ordo. Well, yes, because it's the Church. And you ask them, well, how many different faiths can you have in the same Church? And they won't answer that question. Because they know if they do, they've just ruled out what they say they're going to do and made it impossible to do it honestly. And you ask them, well, how many different religions can you have in the same Church? And they will not answer that question because then they have to say, well, one is the true Church and one isn't. Right? And they're not ready to say that, even though logically they're compelled to do so if they're going to answer the question at all, so they simply refuse to answer. I even asked somebody that, and he said, I know what you're trying to do to me. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to trap me. I said, well, I can just trap you with, with truth and logic. I mean, if you consider that a truth, if you consider that a trap, um, but I was just trying to point out to him that he's contradicting himself, and that he was he was in a trap, and I was get, trying to get him out of the trap. But he preferred to be in the trap. Uh, and he resented by it, trying to get him out. I think and something else that was pointed out, in fact, I think you pointed this out, <clears throat> that uh, that Father Paulio goes on to say goes on to say, on the other side stands the mass of Paul the Sixth. And you mentioned he didn't call him Pope Paul the Sixth, which is interesting. He says, on the other side stands the Mass of Paul VI. It is an authentic expression of a church with a capital C. And he talks about a church as though it's a separate church. He says the traditional Mass is the authentic expression of a a church, the Catholic Church, he says. Then he goes on to say that the Mass of Paul VI is an authentic expression of a church, capital C, that wants to live in harmony with the world and that lends an ear to the world's demands. It represents a church that, in the final analysis, no longer needs to fight against the world because it no longer has anything to reproach the world. Here is a church that no longer has anything to teach the world because it listens to the powers of the world. It is a church that no longer needs the sacrifice of our blessed Lord because having lost the notion of sin, it no longer has anything for which to atone. Here is a Church, again all capital C, that no longer has the mission of restoring the universal kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ because it wants to make its contribution to the creation on this earth of a better world that is freer, more egalitarian, and more eco-responsible. And all this with purely human means. This humanist mission... That the meta that the church have given themselves must necessarily be matched by a liturgy that is equally humanist and emptied of any notion of sacredness. And I ask Father Palierani, what church is he talking about here? Is he talking about the Catholic Church? I mean, if he's not talking about the Catholic Church here, what church is he talking about with its mass of Paul VI? Is he actually agreeing implicitly? That, that is a separate church which is not the Catholic Church. It certainly sounds that way. So again, I see the contradiction within the writing of Father polyrati Rowdy, and their contradiction was in his thinking, as though there's some the, the traditional mass has become a sign of contradiction within the church, and then he presents two different churches that are mutually opposed to each other. So I, I am asking him to resolve this contradiction in your own thinking, in your own writing. You understand what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm, i I think he's making it quite clear. I hope I'm making it, you know, mm-hmm. equally clear. Yeah. Well, Father, uh, I think this
1: perfectly goes with what we mentioned last week. And another one of their their responses to this, they talked about how they they hope that uh, they they had the hopes that that tradition could regain its rights within the
0: church. Um, how could Catholic tradition ever lose its rights within the church? If you are talking about the Catholic Church, right. that's a very good point. Huh? Yeah. That's right. So that, that too, uh, lends a certain weight of explanation and also consternation to what is said here. I'm glad you pointed that out. Well, Father,
1: do you, do you think that this uh, that proprio of Francis, that it will, in any sense, help the SSPX, that it will, that it will send people their way? Because if, I mean, as Father Pagliarani is describing here, that they're simply this uh, kind of church within a, 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 another larger church, um, mm-hmm that, you know, those more conservative-minded, would-be traditional Catholics who are seeking a Latin Mass, they can simply transition right over to the SSPX and they'll still be under the umbrella of the Novus Ordo Church. And so do you expect the SSPX numbers to grow because of
0: this? Well, I I think Father Pagliari actually addresses every question in his own letter. I think he kind of raises that question. Maybe I should let him answer. (laughs) I'll give you his answer. I'll give you mine he actually continues from where I left off here and he says, this battle that has been waged for the past 50 years, which has just seen a highly significant event on July 16th, that's the motu proprio Francis, is not a simple war between two rights. It is indeed a war between two different and opposing conceptions of the Catholic Church and of Christian life. Now, How clear could he be until he's not, until he contradicts that idea? He talks about two completely different and opposing conceptions of the church itself. Again, as Cardinal Ottaviani said, different conceptions of the church, even in the rites of the traditional mass and the new rite. Cardinal Benelli said it, Uh, and here Father Pagliari is saying the same thing. And he's, he's basically acknowledging what Francis said, that the unique or sole expression of the Lexarandi, which must correspond, that is, the, the law of praying, which must correspond with the law of believing, the faith, that for Francis now, the unique expression of that is Paul VI New Liturgy, to the exclusion of the traditional Mass of the Church. That's a very bold statement, and I'm sure that Father Paul has this in mind when he says there are two different opposing conceptions of the Catholic Church itself at stake here. He goes on to say that well, God would not permit this without for some, without some greater good to result from it, and he says one of those greater goods might be that people now appreciate the traditional Mass more. And this is where he goes on then to, in a sense, you know, obliquely address the question that you asked. I mean, how are people going to react? And he raises the question, he says, um, there are people who have become familiar with the traditional mass now who are being forced by in the use of the word forced to choose. And what are they going to choose? He says. And his answer is, he says, they have to choose the Catholic faith in its entirety, he says they have to choose the Catholic faith in its integrity, and that is the traditional Mass. He says, if Francis is forcing them to choose, they have to choose Catholic tradition, the traditional Catholic faith and the traditional Catholic religion, the centerpiece, the heart and soul of which, is the Mass, the traditional Catholic Mass itself. And he says, this can never disappear. He says, so I, I tell you, um that if you make the right choice and you choose the true mass that you can never lose because this mass can never be lost christ is guaranteed this is the mass of the church which itself can never ever fail but you know in saying that he said it can never disappear he almost implies that maybe the new mass could you know so if you make if you choose the new liturgy and turn your back on the traditional Mass, now that you know it for what it really is, then you're on the losing side, right? And the implication is it could disappear. And it will, in fact, we know. It's going to have to disappear. But the true Mass, which he calls the Tridentine Mass, can never disappear. So he says it's their role with the Society of St. Pius X to stand firmly for the traditional faith, the traditional Mass, and hopefully people will find their way. So I think this is why Father Pagliarani answered this relatively quickly because he sees in the reaction of the people against Francis and Proprio, and the determination of people, now that they have found the, the, the traditional Mass, at least the 1962 version of it, uh, that they realize that um, more and more, it really represents a different ecclesiology after all, and really does represent a different faith, which is what Francis said was troubling him, which is why he had to shut it down. And they're saying, now, it's it's our job to make sure that people do find their way to the traditional Mass and hold on to it firmly. This was issued in Mensingen July 22, 2021, it says. That's the official date of issues of this. I, I do think that um, Francis might be um, actually affecting uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And when he talks about dividing the church, well, first of all, it is the modernists who divided the church. <clears throat> uh, but they can't really divide the Catholic church. They divided from it. The modernists have split off from the true Catholic Church, okay? You can't divide the Church of Christ because its primary essential mark is unity. And unity in faith, and unity in worship, and unity in rule, which ultimately is Catholic tradition. It's not depending on an individual pope. There's an authority over and above all the popes, and that is Catholic tradition. That's the work of the Holy Ghost. So the true Catholic Church has to always be united in. Those three ways, unity of faith, and unity of worship, and unity of of rule, or governance. <clears throat> so we cannot really talk about the church being divided, as Francis does, and as the modernists do. Okay, um, there, are the, there are those who are with the church and those who are against it, just as those who are with Christ and who are, who are against him. Uh, the modernists have introduced the idea of partial communion, as though being Catholic is a matter of degrees, you know. That's not the Catholic concept at all. Um, I think Father Pagliarani sees an opportunity in this. I think he sees the, the strong reaction against Francis' uh, uh, imperial edict trying to uh, almost outlaw the, the 62 Latin Mass as, as going to... Um, basically bring bring more people into the Pius X fold. Um, and that's what I think is uh, in his mind when he writes this. Um, but um, I see it a, a bit differently not that I doubt it not that I doubt that there are going to be people who are going to be actually trying to seek refuge in the Society of St. Pius X in all this. Um, but I, I see that since the new mass came out, there's been a war made against the traditional mass. The very declaration of war was the new mass itself. Um, and uh, at first that war was, was a hot war. It was a war of absolute intolerance to try to eradicate, annihilate the traditional mass. Most of people alive today are not old enough to remember that phase the first 20 years or so after the new Mass came out and the effort on the part of all the bishops everywhere to outlaw the Mass entirely and to impose the Paul VI liturgy everywhere. Um, But then Archbishop Lefebvre consecrated bishops in 1988, Uh, then uh, 12 uh, priests who left Archbishop Lefebvre went to the Vatican And agreed to, you know, uh, the Ecclesia Dei uh, restrictions and requirements and set up the fraternity of St. Peter to operate and to try to practice the traditional faith within the Novus Ordo and under the control of the Novus Ordo as a privilege, okay? And that's where the fraternity of St. Peter came from. And uh, gradually then, in the course of time, there were Some concessions given in 1984, there was some relaxation, allowing some use of the of the 1962 missile in the dioceses. And um, of course, that was even before Archbishop should have consecrated the bishops. 1988, then, with uh, Ecclesia Dei Commission, they uh, relaxed it even more. And with Summorum Pontificum, uh, uh, Benedict XVI gave a general relaxation for priests even in dioceses who wanted to use the uh, 1962 liturgy uh, privately, not publicly, but privately. They had to have permission to use it publicly, permission from the bishops. Um, So there was a gradual relaxation, and that, that I would consider to be the Cold War. I would consider that to be a Cold War phase. It was still war. But the idea of relaxing the restrictions was a tactic always in order to try to keep in the fold those who were drawn to elements of Catholic tradition. And might have been in danger of uh, actually leaving the Novus Ordo entirely and, and going back to you know, practice the traditional faith in its entirety. And so they were kept uh, kind of in tow there. it kept in orbit, right? But again, the objective was even then to um, keep them on the line, give them enough Catholic tradition in order to uh, bring them along into the Novus Ordo. And of course, you know, they had to acknowledge that the Novus Ordo mass and everything was perfectly Catholic, also they had to acknowledge that in principle that it was basically a matter of taste, they just preferred the traditional way, as you might prefer chocolate ice cream as opposed to vanilla ice cream. It's all Catholic, but after all, we prefer this style of this, right? And uh, so there's no real difference in substance, it's all a difference in style. That's the Cold War phase. And Francis then finally just said, this isn't working. This is not working. We're not winning these people over to the Novus Ordo, we're losing them to the traditional. And so we have to put an end to this Cold War, and now we have to declare the hot war again. And we have to go over this and, and determine to extirpate this as far as we can. And that was what motivated his motu proprio. He all but said it, really. So now we're in the, the hot war phase, of uh, actually. And I, I think Father Paul Girani's letter kind of reflects that, saying the era of hermeneutic of continuity is dead. Right? It's equivocations, illusions, and impossible efforts. Well, I, I you know, uh, again, I, I think the equivocations, illusions, and impassable efforts were actually uh, being entertained by the SSPX during that era of Hemaduric of continuity. And I hope they do abandon it and realize that we're dealing with modernists who are enemies of the faith and to stop kowtowing to them, to stop trying to compromise with them, to stop trying to please them and find some means of working with them and within them. Uh, Father Pagliarani indicates that that's where they're going now, but he still has this uh, strange way of looking at it that somehow um, that's still the the Catholic faith, the Catholic Church we're dealing with. That the modernists still represent the Catholic Church and uh, that they still somehow uh, have the authority to, you know, um, be running, as it were, the, the, the Catholic Church, and yet we don't have to do anything they say, even if we think that they actually legitimately hold the positions of authority. Now, I consider that attitude to be very destructive, the Catholic Church, too. Uh, so, anyway, uh, time to, uh, I mean, you know, Archbishop Lefebvre himself, uh, in his last interview, was very strong on this point. And I just wish the uh, leadership of the SSPX could would read Archbishop Lefebvre's words in his last interview to Fidelitaire magazine. Uh, uh, it was given August in the year, uh, well, it was actually, uh taken from Fidelity number 79, January, February, 1991. Okay, so that was to, toward the very end of Archbishop Le Pen's life, almost at the very end, you know. He died in March of that year. So this, we're talking about just a couple months before his death. <clears throat> but he said, uh, it is no longer just a question of liturgy that separates us from Rome, but a matter of faith, he says. And um, I mean... I would like to post a link to this. There's there's a website site called uh, Douay Rheims Bible Online. It's D R B O. I think it's org, if I'm not mistaken. It's an excellent resource. It has the Douay Reims Bible online, and uh, one can reference it, you know, beautifully and find references easily. It has it also it's the Latin Vulgate as an option as well. Um, But it also has a section called Articles. And at first one might access that to use that as a resource uh, for study uh, without realizing that it it is being actually um, uh, operated by, well, you you might say traditional-minded Catholics, if not traditionalists themselves. And this last interview of Archbishop Lefebvre is... Uh, listed among the articles on that site. And um, it's a very powerful interview by Archbishop Pritchard Lefebvre, and it represents really uh, where his mind and his heart were just uh, two months before he died. And if those who are following the SSPX would read this, I think they would realize he was not in any frame of mind to compromise at all in fact, he found that it was even more uh, less possible to compromise than ever before. He, he even says here that he thinks he actually conceded too much, that he made too many efforts to compromise. I mean, he even says that in the article that he doesn't try. Uh, he doesn't fault himself uh, for being. Uh, unwilling to do so, that he actually finds that he might have gone too far in trying to accommodate the modernists. Mm-hmm. But if you go to that uh, drvo.org, I think it is, uh, Do I Bible Online, and you, you go to the articles, and you look this up, the last interview with Archbishop Lefebvre, I think it tells a very, very important tale, story here. And I'd, I'd like to reference it, and, and you can link to it. Uh, for the sake of our own viewers here, to go and see, well, where, what did Archbishop Lefebvre think there in those closing closing days of his life with regard to the relationship of the traditional Catholic faith, religion, church with modernist Rome? Um, anyway, uh, I came prepared to, to read from it, but I don't know that really... Time allows right now. This We could do an entire program on this interview of Archbishop Lefebvre. Maybe we should. Yeah. I think it's it, it's worthy of it, certainly.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we can certainly find the link, Father, and post that for our viewers. Um, but I know we also, uh, tonight, you wanted to touch on the uh, subject of Cuba and what is happening there. Hmm. If you could uh, fill us in.
0: Well, I imagine there is still resistance, although pockets of resistance are probably being crushed. I've heard stories of the Cuban police. You know, I mean, these are these are uh, Cuban men and women who actually have been armed against their own people, firing upon their own people, beating their own people, dragging them off to prison. Uh, last I read, and this was about a week ago, 5,000 people, Cubans, have disappeared, simply disappeared off the streets. It sounds like Stalinist Russia. Disappeared off the streets, no trace of them. They're buried somehow in the prisons of, of, of the communist dictator there. And if one wants to read a, an account of what it is to be in the, in the prisons of Castro's Cuba, and believe me, I mean, even though Fidel Castro is dead, it's still Castro's Cuba today, one should get a copy of Against All Hope by Armando Valadares. Armando Valadares was a prisoner of Fidel Castro for years, and he um, wrote about it after he managed to escape from uh, the prisons of, of castro's cuba um, and it was published in english but under the title of against all hope that book is worth reading i've read that as a teenager and i i found it to be well very sobering with regard to what communism is really all about castro rose to power under the guise of a freedom fighter against the oppressive batista regime but he proved himself to be like the seven devils that came worse than the first you know and um the the book uh, against all all hope by armando balladores i think really tells you on the ground level boots on the ground what it was lo- what it's like to live in communism under communism i think everybody should read that and, of course, um, you know, during my high schooling in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, near Miami, a large uh, Cubano uh, population, Cuban population, I went to school with, um, you know, those who were refugees from Cuba, and uh, I regret now that I didn't actually talk to them more about what was not going on in Cuba with their own families um, and their own relatives, some of whom were imprisoned with maybe Armando Valadares, probably, no, you know. I mean, Validaris talks about the drawer cells where they were ba- basically kept in file drawers in pitch darkness for hours and hours and, and hours on end, day after day after day. Uh, the, they were going blind because they were kept in darkness so much, uh, like being buried alive. And just uh, so much things that you couldn't even repeat here on the show. Um, a real, real wake-up call. And here we are now in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. Here we are in a situation which was unthinkable just a matter of maybe a year or two ago, that the population of Cuba, or a goodly number of them, have risen up to try to throw off the communism, and we're not willing to raise a finger to help them. After all this time of dealing with this, I mean, the Cuban Missile Crisis and all the rest, right? Now the people of Cuba are trying to free themselves from that, that uh, merciless yoke of communist dictators and we we tell them don't you dare try to set foot on our on our soil. We will not let you cross the straits, we will not let you land on our in our country not seeking refuge here. We'll let all kinds of people swarm over the border, right, of Texas and forbid anybody from stopping them, right, give them privileged status but let somebody try to flee from communist Cuba We'll we'll stop them, We'll drive them back, right? Because we're becoming communist Cuba, under under communists. We are we are under Marxists right now, okay And uh, basically, Tom, not an hour goes by that we are not threatened. what we believe, what we love, our persons, our families, we are being threatened continuously by this, cabal of Marxists. We are being threatened day and night by them, more and more. Uh, threatened with, uh, you know, what, what they're going to do to us if we don't get stuck and how we're, we're a threat to them all and they're going to treat us as though we're a threat, right? Even though they're one, the ones who are in... <laughs> well, anyway, it's almost ludicrous how absurd it is. And we're being threatened by them continually and we don't react. We don't respond. Now, this connotes to me a people who are already in bondage they have already basically uh, surrendered to their own their own slavery that they they can't even re- respond to threats that it is raining upon them endlessly from the Marxists uh, the leftists so um, but um, so I, I fear that we are becoming communist Cuba and that what those people are trying so desperately now to escape, we are we are now um, uh, passively welcoming, so to speak. Um, and it's because of a lack of faith. It is entirely because, um, um, let, let's face it, we, we don't. It's it, we see what we love threatened, and we cannot uh, raise the necessary energy and the will to resist and to protect it because because we don't love it as we should and we're going to lose it for that reason. And that is all really a matter of faith. And uh, so we have to uh, summon our faith in our Lord, our confidence in Him, our hope in Him. We have to summon our charity and the love for God and uh, we have to be able to respond to to, uh, the threats against our faith, and our hope, and our love for God. Um, Anyway, I ask you to please pray for the people of Cuba, the valiant people of Cuba. I mean, there are uh, Novus Ordo clergy there who are being beaten, dragged off to prison, who are trying to stand up for what they believe. The impression you get is that they still have the faith, even though they've been trying to live it within the Novus Ordo. And they're valiantly trying to resist communism, a very Catholic to do, right? Uh, and the Cuban people, too, with whatever resources they have. Hey, listen, if you wanted to take over a nation, if you wanted to become the absolute despotic tyrannical controller of an entire nation of people, and you, you, you realized <coughs> that there were, there were steps you had to take to gain that control and to prevent them from resisting you, uh, what would you start by doing? Besides breaking down their morale, breaking down their will to resist, what would you try to take away from them?
1: <laughs> Can't say I've thought about that too much, Father.
0: <laughs> I think it would be to take away any means of resistance. Right? You try to take away their will to resist, but there's a certain segment of the population of of people who have... At least at some point, dedicated themselves to fighting for their country. And they had not only the the uh, will to defend their country, but they actually let's say enlisted, and they learned how not only to use weapons, but they learned how to fight with them. Because there's a big difference between knowing how to use a weapon and knowing how to fight with it. Okay, I mean there are people who know how to use a you know a a weapon just you know accurately like um, you know aiming at a target and hitting a target but that's a very different thing from knowing how to fight and uh, there is a whole segment of population the veterans our veterans our military veterans they enlisted you'd like to think because of a love of their country they wanted to serve their country they believe in their country and they want to fight it and defend it and they want to protect it all that it stands for. So they had the will to do that. They were willing to give years of their lives in the service of their country. Uh, They were trained in the use of weapons uh, for the sake of uh, not being, let's say, a a military force for the expansionism and imperialism, but for the good of their country and to protect their country and its people against threats, right? So they not only learned how to use these weapons, but they learned how to fight with them, right? So, I mean, if you were wanting to take over as an absolute despot of a country, I think you'd realize, I have to take away not only the will of these people to resist, I have to take away their means of resistance. I have to disarm the veterans. I have to disarm the veterans, so the first ones I have to take the weapons out of their hands. Because I know these are people who have the will to resist. These are the people who have a will to fight for their country. I've got to stop them from doing that. They're a threat to me and my plans. And you know, it's interesting, uh, you don't hear too much about it now, but there has been a concerted effort in our country um, by leftists to disarm our veterans. There's a reason for that, you know. And I don't know that people really understood the significance of it. But this is exactly what uh, somebody who aspired to be an absolute dictator would do. And start right there. Demoralizing. Now I was just reading that there's an alarming number of our veterans who are actually entering their own lives. Well, what's an alarming number? I mean, one is enough for me to be alarmed about. But now the numbers have gotten so it's becoming so common that now even the the, the leftist press is is beginning to take note of it. And I can't help but think that if that is true, because you don't necessarily accept it's true, whatever they say, you know. As Tom Anderson said, I wouldn't even believe a page number in the New York Times. <clears throat> uh, if it is true, I mean, I could see that of all the people in the population who would be really demoralized at what's going on, it would be the veterans who gave their, of their lives for their country and wanted to defend it, and seeing what's happening to it, and seeing what's happening to the United States military under the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, right? Um, so, um, anyway, Tom, I, I see in Cuba uh, what I fear is now with the uh, regime of the current resident um, of the United States, uh, I see that, that the Communists realized that there was an opportunity here to kind of uh, precipitate a... Uh, a rebellion that would enable them to find out and crush who would ever could ever pose a threat to them. So I I honestly do believe the communists actually orchestrated this to draw out, to kind of provoke uh, the anti-communists in Cuba uh, so that they could be crushed, knowing that they would receive no help from anywhere. I think the same thing is afoot here in America. I think... uh, that the leftists want very much to provoke, as they did in, uh, of, well, what, what they're calling the, uh, well, I hesitate to use the word, you know, because, <laughs> yeah. of course, the newspeak of 1984 yeah. is very much upon us. Um, you know, you get uh, Facebook and Twitter and all that, and y- you realize that, you know, you see these the people who are in charge of this ostensibly, the front men for these organizations, actually even testifying before communists, be, be testifying before Congress, I should say, and you really get the impression that they're not really human, that they're kind of space aliens. I mean, one, I think, could make a case for that. Um, I'm being facetious, of course. Of course. But there's something like transhuman, I think, about... Uh, the the, the personalities involved here. And I don't believe that they are actually the ones who are running the show at Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Uh, But in any case, um, but I I think the the purpose is to try to provoke some kind of a thoughtless reaction so that they can immediately come crashing down with the full force of their leftist tyranny. So, we, we, I mean, uh, Americans, have to be very, very careful right now. Very thoughtful, but especially very prayerful, because we need the wisdom of God to support us in this. We need the guidance of the Holy Ghost here. It really is a matter of faith. Uh, the true faith, the one true faith, our, our true traditional Catholic faith. Uh, I've been won over by those who are making the argument that we're not in the end times right now. I think they're right. There are those who are saying, we're approaching po- the great chastisement which will usher in the the reign of Mary, the triumph of the Sacred Heart in the world, for a period of time. I actually believe that is not and now believe that is true. Um, so, um, we, we we have to realize that as we approach this um, this great chastisement, and as I understand it uh, from Our Lady of Good Success, um, we have to be more dedicated to our faith, more dedicated to our Lord, have a firmer hope, an unshakable hope in Him, absolutely invincible hope in Him, and a th- to be. Aspiring to nothing less than a perfect love for God. Absolutely to aspire for that perfect love for God that is spoken of in the first great commandment, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, thy whole mind, thy whole soul, thy whole strength. I think that's what each and every one of us has to aspire to. And the only way we can aspire to that is by, again, practicing our our traditional Catholic faith in our traditional Catholic religion in its integrity and rejecting modernism and the religion of modernism, which is the Novus Ordo. The only way to be faithful to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary in the world day. Okay. So there, I said it. <laughs>
1: right. Uh Anything else you would like to add, Father? Uh, it's
0: always dangerous. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're ready to wrap up. I guess we've gone for about an hour now, right? Okay. So uh, just uh, God bless all of our listeners. I, Maybe fortuitous that you mentioned that one of our couple of our listeners sent us a cup, and it's a very special cup. I wish I could feature it here, but it says, and it just arrived unaccredited, so I had no idea where it came from. At first, I thought it came from our friend over at uh, Defeat Modernism. (laughs) I thought Chris had sent this to us, but he said no. But he was very interested in it when I sent him uh, pictures of it. It says on the cup, Modernism. Quote, the synthesis of all heresies. And then there's a cross, which you can't see. Perhaps we can post a picture of it. Pope Pius X, September 8, 1907, Pascenti Dominici Gracis. And then across the bottom it says, Tenete Tradiciones, which means hold fast to the traditions. And it attributes that to St. Paul's second epistle to the Thessalonians. So there's a little... uh, lesson in apologetics right here on the cup, so uh, anybody who uses this cup on a regular basis I would say for uh, a month is going to know all the information. (laughs) I think we ought to use these um, as opportunities maybe for instruction. Um, uh, So one can contemplate the message on the cup while enjoying a cup of coffee. Anyway, I'm going to get a few more of these and if anybody's interested, uh, let us know. We'd be glad to uh, make it available to you. But I thank those who were thoughtful and actually contrived this uh, very traditional Catholic cup here. I, I'd like to see it receive a raw circulation. All
1: right. Sounds good. Well, Father, thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. Appreciate all that you do. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you, Tom. That's, that's uh, mutual. And thanks to all of our watchers, too, all yes. of our listeners.
1: Yes, definitely. God bless you all. Yep, thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.